Thanks for choosing to spend time in the studio with Michael Card. What you're about to hear in this podcast was recorded several years ago in Franklin, Tennessee. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed since this was first broadcast, the messages discussed in these conversations still ring true. Check out what's new with Michael's ministry when you visit michaelcard.com or connect via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. And let us know your reaction to what you've discovered from this classic edition in the studio. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and welcome to a special edition of our broadcast. We thought it would be a good change of pace to step out of our Mole End studio and hear what it's like to be in concert with Michael. So we'll be back in the studio in the second half as we discuss creativity with Calvin Miller. But until then, we're going to hit the road and follow Michael to Waukegan, Illinois, where he gave this performance. So let's begin with Michael teaching just before he sings his first song. This is a song uh, from the life of Peter. It's based on one Greek word, uh, a, a word uh, that's pronounced emblepo, which isn't the prettiest sounding word, emblepo. But it's a pretty beautiful idea. The idea is... Um, is to see something with your mind, to really understand what it is you're looking at. And so the word emblepo is, is used uh, when Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. That word consider is really the Greek word emblepo. Jesus says, when you look at the lilies of the field, you see them with your mind. And if, if you'll do that, you'll realize that they're really a parable uh, for God's provision for us. That, that, that's what it really means to see with your mind, to understand what it is you're looking at, okay? That word is used uh, by two different New Testament authors, Luke and John, to describe the way Jesus looks at Simon. Isn't that interesting? Uh, The very first time they meet in John 1, uh, John uses this word. Uh, Andrew brings his brother, Simon Peter, to meet Jesus. And before they even speak, John tells us that Jesus turned and he considered, he, 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 gazed at he he looked intently at Simon Peter and he said you are Simon you will be the rock so before he even spoke to him he knew all of his potential knew everything about him the Bible tells us in fact John tells us a couple of chapters later that Jesus has this intuition about people he doesn't have to ask questions about a person because he knows what's in a person that's the first time the word is used the other time is uh, one of the last times they lay eyes on each other, and it's in Luke 22. And it's the, the, the moment when Peter betrays Jesus, and all the gospel writers tell us that story because it's an important story. It was an important story to the early church that they realized that someone with the stature of Peter had actually f- failed. Very important. Uh, we need to realize that our leaders fail. And uh, only Luke gave us uh, this particular detail, though. Luke tells us that Upon his third denial, Jesus turned and looked at Peter across the courtyard at Caiaphas as their eyes met. And it's that word, emblepo. Jesus turned and considered Peter. He looked at Peter with understanding. He looked at Peter with his mind because he understood. He had already uh, said that Peter was going to betray him, didn't he? He told him, you're going to do it. And he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you 
And so when you turn around, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew every detail of what was going to happen. And so he didn't just see Simon in his moment of failure. He saw his whole life. He saw what Peter would become and the, the wonderful man of God that he became. The point is, that's how he sees us. That's how he sees us. He considers us. He sees us with his mind. And if you, if you hear nothing else tonight, I want, you to, I want you to hear this question. Do you realize how magnificently you are loved by this man? This man who knows you better than you know yourself? Who, who, who loves you so much he would rather die than live without you? Who loves you so much he wants to be married to you? This man who in uh, a, a couple of weeks we will celebrate his sacrifice, sacrificing himself for us out of love. Do you realize how magnificently you're loved by this man? And there's nothing you can do about it. That's the really cool part. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't act better and get more of his love. And, and by failing the way Peter failed in Caiaphas, you don't forfeit one subatomic particle of it. Let me say something that's going to sound heretical. But let me finish my thought before you get your lighters out, okay? <laughs> you may be uh, here tonight, and you may be enmeshed in the worst kind of a sinful lifestyle, and you simply can't disentangle yourself from it. Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to stop sinning for him to love you. He loves you as you are in the sacrament of this present moment. He loves you as you are and not as you should be. You don't have to stop sinning for God to love you. God loves you so you can stop sinning. See, it's not heresy after all. You don't have to stop sinning for God to love you. He loves you so you can stop sinning. Paul says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's realizing how magnificently we are loved that is one of the greatest forces for then changing your life. So I'll stop talking at you. It was the first time that I heard his voice above the gentle whisper of the sea. I felt inside that he had made his choice and that somehow he had included me. As I looked upon the open book that was his face and read there every comfort from above. His compassion looked beyond all my disgrace and saw someone he could build a kingdom of. His gaze was kindness, but his stare was stone. Could break your heart and somehow make you Cause when he looked at you, you felt you were
completely known Because you see He saw you with His soul Once across a barren place Where I denied I even knew his name What broke my heart was not the look upon his face But knowing that he loved me still the same It is the very way he looks upon us all This moment, seeing all that we might be And no hint of condemnation can be seen within his eyes Because he was condemned for you and me
sort of lost without my song list. I'm just going to have to make this up as I go. It's funny, without a song list, I think, I don't know any songs. What can I play? I don't have, I don't have any songs. Let's see. Uh, oh, here's a good one. This is a new one. Um, this is Matthew 17, the, the rich young ruler passage. I love this story. You know, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and, and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As if inheriting eternal life is something we do, right? And Jesus, I, th I think, appeals to the man on his own level. He says, well, obey the commandments. And the guy says, I have already. <laughs> yeah, Jesus says, really? <laughs> um, he said, okay, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. And he couldn't. And Jesus' question revealed the fact that the man had broken the very first commandment. He had made money his God, right? First commandment says, have no other gods before me. He'd broken the very first one. He hadn't kept them all. As he's walking away, Jesus says to the disciples, you know, it's very hard for rich people to enter the kingdom, which blows their minds. Because in their world, if you were rich, that meant you'd been blessed by God, you know, without qualification. Unfortunately, in American Christianity, we've sort of adopted the same heresy. Certainly, God does bless some people with wealth. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. If you're if you're a believer and you have a lot of wealth, I'm not saying, you know, you're in, in the wrong place. But guess what? There's a lot of people with a lot of wealth who <laughs> aren't where they should be. It's not an unqualified blessing from God. Money isn't. Um, and that freaks the disciples out. And their response is, well, then who can be saved? If rich people can't be saved, well, gee, then nobody can. Right? And Jesus says, well, you know, it's God that saves people. This is God's business. From the back of the crowd comes a little voice, and it's Peter's voice. And I imagine him clearing his, <clears throat> clearing his throat <clears> and <throat> saying, reminding Jesus. He's, he loves to remind Jesus of things. He says, um, we left everything to follow you. Okay, that's where the song came from.
Though sometimes I grow weary when the road's getting long. At each point of my weakness, you make me strong. And when doubt takes over, I remember it's true. I left everything to follow you. To stay safe or to follow, you asked me to choose. But how could I fail when I've got nothing left to lose? Without your call, I couldn't make it. It'd be impossible to do. To leave everything and follow you. Everything to follow. Everything to follow. Everything to follow you. What is my petty offering to your sacrifice? I gave up my home, but you left paradise. And what you called me to offer has really set me free, 'cause you left everything to be with me. So with joy I embrace. A faith that calls me from home, and I will cling to your promise that I am never alone. And with each passing moment, I'll keep hoping it's true. I left everything to follow you. Everything to follow. Everything. This is the Cornelius、uh, affair, where Peter goes to preach in the house of a Gentile. First, first time it had happened. First time, certainly Peter had seen the inside of a Gentile house. And、uh, you know, when he came back from preaching this gent to this Gentile household, it was, a, it, was a, it was a Gentile Pentecost. Actually, the Holy Spirit came for the first time to a group of that's us, y'all, Gentiles. Most of us are probably Gentiles here.、Um, And you know he got in trouble for it. The Jewish Christian, the leadership,、uh, said, "We heard that you went into the home of a Gentile and you actually ate with Gentiles." Peter had to answer for that. It was an issue for a long time. Jesus had called Peter to do that, 
and he was obedient. And because of his obedience, he essentially let go of the leadership of the Jerusalem church. James, the brother of Jesus, became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And after chapter 12 in Acts, Peter essentially disappears. He becomes a missionary. He becomes a missionary pastor. And I think that's what I'm proudest of him for doing, for letting go of power, letting go of authority in order to be obedient to Jesus. Because Jesus had called him to go someplace he wasn't supposed to go. In fact, the first thing he says, this is so like him, the first thing Peter says when he walks into Cornelius' house is, you know I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has shown me to not call any person unclean. And Jesus had called him to let go of this distinction between clean and unclean, which is really the heart of Judaism. He had been called to let go of that. And Peter realized it was no longer up to him to decide who was worthy to hear the gospel and who wasn't. Jesus is going to call each one of us to go someplace we're not supposed to go. He is a rule breaker. If you don't know Jesus as a rule breaker, you don't know him. He broke the rules all the time. He spit on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to spit on the Sabbath because the spit can run downhill and that can make mud. And making mud is work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So you're not supposed to spit on the Sabbath. What does Jesus do to heal the blind man? He spits. He broke their rules. Pick up your mat and walk. Not supposed to carry stuff on the Sabbath. He was a rule breaker. He touched people who were unclean. You're not supposed to do that. But, but the world had totally changed with his coming because in Judaism, if I touch an unclean person, what happens to me? I become unclean. When Jesus touches an unclean person, what happens? They become clean. In Judaism, you're not supposed to touch dead people. Jesus touches dead people, what happens? They become alive again. It's a new world. New rules. We've got to stop living by the old rules. We've got to stop thinking that we are the ones who can decide who's worthy of hearing the gospel and who's not. Jesus just said, go. Go make disciples of everybody in my name. And that's what this song's about. Going places you're not supposed to be. his final word as we walk beside the sea you will be led where you don't want to go I knew that he would test my faith and all that I believed but just how far that I could never know and he would send a vision then once more beside the sea to a rooftop where my ecstasy was seen to ask what was unaskable three times the vision came and demanded I embrace what was unclean you know I'm not supposed to be here to cross the line no one has crossed before to simply be one of the fools that you call to break the rules and to go someplace I'm not supposed to be
My stumbling faith responded to what my mind said wasn't right. So I left that place and followed in a dream to find unfamiliar strangers who were hungry for the light. And then I realized that no one is unclean. But I was born to be a winner and not to serve some fallen, conquered king who took up the cross and bled when he broke himself for bread in a place where he was not supposed to be. Simply be one of the fools that you call to break the rules And to go someplace I'm not supposed to be To go someplace I'm not supposed to be And to go someplace I'm not supposed to be Hope you've enjoyed going on the road with us for this segment here in the studio with Michael Card, and we will be back in the studio for the second half of today's program. You can send your comments about this program to in the studio at michaelcard.com. Here's a note from a listener. Thank you for your wonderful program. Your ministry of spirit and truth has a deep impact on my life. Thank you for your openness to his word, your humility, and for sharing so freely the word through your music. We hope you'll get in touch with us soon at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And through the web, you can learn more about Michael's music and teaching ministry at michaelcard.com. Online, you can find out when Michael will be touring in your area. And you can discover our e-devotional, Scripture and Comments, based on what you've heard today. It's all at michaelcard.com. And if you'd like to listen again to this broadcast, visit our audio archive on our radio page or find our podcast by typing Michael Card in the iTunes podcast directory. Also, we're happy to let you know about a new release of the CD and teaching DVD on the life of Peter called A Fragile Stone. I've now seen this myself, and it's absolutely beautiful. The details in this special project filmed on location in Israel can be found at michaelcard.com. Again, the website, www.michaelcard.com. Well, coming up in the second half, we'll be back in the studio, and our guest will be Calvin Miller here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Coming up next week in the studio with Michael Card, Michael will open the Word and teach on the life of Jesus. And there'll be guest conversations and plenty of music woven throughout the hour that will inspire you to follow Christ in new and deeper ways. The instruments are tuned and the Bible is open, so make sure you join us for this unforgettable session. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear this program on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. All the details at michaelcard.com.
Welcome back to the second half of our program, In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Michael, today we've talked about the scriptures. Another thing we want to talk about is God's gift of creativity. Yeah, Wayne, that's something that's behind, I think, every part of the show. If we want to talk about community, what we talk about is the fact that creativity comes out of community. Mm. When we talk about uh, interacting with the text of Scripture as commentary, what we want to understand is how can we use our creativity and understand the text at the level of the imagination. And uh, the next guest is really the person who taught me to do that. Is that right? I can remember uh, being in uh, in college and picking up this odd, long, skinny-shaped book, (laughs) The Singer. Oh, and yes. I thought, what what is this? You know, I'm this sort of snooty uh, biblical guy. Who you know, who would dare do something like this? And I started reading the singer, and it absolutely changed my life. Well, we have that storyteller yeah, with us. Yeah. He's Calvin Miller. Calvin, welcome to in the studio here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Give us give us an overview of creativity, Calvin. What's uh, what's your thought about that? Well, you know, uh, to me, creativity is uh, uh, sort of, sort of man. Uh, and women, generically human beings, enlarging uh, and explaining and and really interpreting God's world. Art is is an interpretation of the world, but in the process of doing that, we define who we are. My my favorite definition of art is one that Ayn Rand used. She said art is, uh, using her old pre-politically correct uh, definition, she said art is is man defining himself. And uh, I like that. I, I, I think that when I paint a picture, uh, it defines who I am. And when I hear Michael's song, I know right off who wrote that song. Mm. I, I just have to hear one of his songs, and I can tell right off that Michael wrote that mm. song. And uh, there's a way he goes about singing, a way he goes about writing, uh, the tempo, the way he arranges notes, uh, speaks to me and tells me that's who he is. So I think art always defines who we are, but it's a wonderful thing to be in process of just bumping into God everywhere and then interpreting what you run into so that you give it a little different slant than maybe God puts it in the world. Well, I love the fact that you're moving away from this old, uh, it's not a Christian understanding, but you hear it in the Christian church a lot, this idea that uh, when we're creative, we're sort of imitating uh, the creator. And, uh, you know, I've never been comfortable with that uh, definition at all. uh, I think creativity is worship. I mean, this whole idea of defining yourself, which worship also does, um, so I, I love your definition, Calvin. I love to move away from these old sort of uh, gray, flat, I think, uh, really non-biblical ideas of what creativity really is. Yeah, you, you know, you know, any time we interpret, we just metaphorize. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that uh, we, we take metaphor and we just explode it. You don't have to read me much of David's Psalms before mm-hmm. I begin to get pictures of shepherds or fields or rocks or crags or eagles. Um, you don't have to read me very far in Jesus before I get pictures of bread and springs of living water and mm. all these things that, that interpret for us uh, some very uh, stern Calvinistic principles sometimes. And the idea that, that we're not creating out of nothing the way God creates, we're, right. we're still just uh, utilizing and weaving uh, the images that God has given us. So I, I think, I think pe- creative people have taken themselves too seriously, and not simply as responders, like you say, but uh, I, I, I just love moving in, in that direction. Yeah, you know, what you and I did that one time we talked about children, when, mm-hmm. what, when you said a while ago, uh, creativity are people who know how to play, mm-hmm. uh, that they play and play and play, and out of their play uh, comes all this beauty. I, I, I think that that's true of uh, 
they, they say that uh, Newton's among his last memoirs, the great scientist, English scientist. He said, "I, I, I seem to myself to have been a little child playing mm. along a, a strand of shore, trying to find the best rocks and shells." Mm. Uh, and and out of that comes the magnificence of uh, Isaac Newton was. So, mm. I, I think that uh, that's true of us. I think when when we adopt that children's mode, we we see the world for the first time. Our eyes get big. Uh, and we can barely drink it all in. Hmm. Well, Calvin, is this something which is innate, or is this something that you have developed in your own life? You know, I I, I think it's both. It's uh, it's you know what Michael has said so much about community. Uh, he he hasn't told this story, but one in one of his trips to uh, Ireland, he brought back a couple of Celtic harps, one of which I have in my house, and hmm. I I just treasure. I just I'm looking at it right now, sitting here in my hmm. front room, um, but. I don't play it like Michael plays it, but Michael doesn't play it just great, but he played it well enough to play it in our college and university chapels, and, <laughs> was, and it was beautiful. But, but what he said was, when he made a mistake, I remember one place where he made a mistake, and he said, one of the nice things about creating in community is you can make a mistake, and the mistake belongs to everybody, mm. and nobody really cares. Oh. I, I think there's a strong sense that when we when we create as children, if we make a mistake and our mud pie doesn't look just right, we'll make another one. And community uh, provides that security in which we can be free to create. And the wonderful thing about community is that I'm really loved more when I do make a mistake. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I remember that as a very special moment, Michael. Yeah. In fact, uh, of all the things you do so well and so right, I remember that one mistake <laughs> as being the most beautiful thing that could have happened to a whole bunch of us at once. Just mm-hmm. what you were hoping for, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, it's my ministry, hey. <laughs> Fallibility yeah. right. <laughs> has some glory about it. Ab- it? Absolutely. I mean, I always ask people when I, when I do mess up, which happens frequently, I mean, what do you expect? You expect perfection? <laughs> well, we want to demonstrate God's gift of creativity here today with Calvin Miller. Mm. And uh, Michael, I'm going to ask you to set this up for us. We're going to hear something very special. Thank you. This, this is this talk, Calvin talking about a moment. This was a moment I'll never forget. We, uh, you were here in this studio. And and Phil Keggy, uh, the wonderful uh, guitar player, was here as well. And you read. I'll, I'll never forget that either. No, I, I, I won't either. You read the poem, and Phil improvised, hearing the 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 poem for the first time. That this is really a moment that got captured. So this wasn't rehearsed. No. and tracked and put no. together later. And you'll notice that Calvin will mention uh, the marionetta strings being cut, and at that precise moment phil will chime uh, like make, making the sound of a, tr- a string being cut and it it is just it it it, it, it for me was a moment i'll never forget calvin you set the story up for us and then we'll hear it together here today one of the things that i've always found michael in writing for children particularly my first two children's books were written for the secular market so i was i'm always working at that thing of trying to get some uh, cosmic and eternal and god values in in such a metaphorical way that the uh, editors in New York don't chop them out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and Marionetta became one of those kinds of, um, of opportunities to talk about what new birth or rebirth is mm-hmm. really like, uh, how uh, God restores all things, and yet I could do it in metaphor and not be so uh, literally biblical about it mm-hmm. that uh, people outside the Christian community would welcome it. So in telling this little story, I was I was trying my best to say, uh, God is a good place to begin again when uh, when we face our fears and uh, break with our past, and then we really anticipate and enjoy the promises of God. Mm. Well, let's listen to this wonderful story. Calvin Miller 
in the studio with Phil Kagi. Marionetta wanted to be a real live girl. She was always on stage where she'd dance and she'd sing. But when everyone left the theater at night, Marionetta was stranded, still tied to her strings. Her strings were five, and they kept her alive. One for each hand and one for each foot and one for the top of her head. The other string dancers had warned her so often that without her five strings, she'd be dead. But Marionetta would hang in the dark when all of the children were gone, and she'd cry ever softly and wish for the light and dream of a day without strings. And she would be free to run down a walk or skate like a demon through wide parking lots. She'd run through a meadow and chase butterflies, climb trees without getting all tangled in knots. She'd fly from her shadows and dance on the wind and listen to locusts and Katie did sing. And she would be free as a robin or swallow with never the tug or the yank of a string. One night, after acting, she hung on a board. Her dark strings were knotted and twisted in cords. Marionetta, said a voice in the dark, would you come with me to the mountains and see if I cut your strings so you could be free? Yes, yes, she cried, but I'm knotted in cords and I'm hanging quite backwards and facing these boards. I'm the master of dancers. I'll cut all your strings and you'll dance in the light where the katydid sings. The other string dancers began to object. Don't trust him, you'll die. He promises things, but our kind can't live or move without strings. I'd rather be dead than tied up in cords and knotted in darkness and facing these boards. Come, master of dancers, and cut off my strings. In the dark, Marionetta could not see a thing as the string dancer's master drew near. But she heard a brief snip and she felt a string clipped and her left leg fell free and dangled in air. A second snip came and she hung splendidly. And two more short snips and her hands dangled free. And she hung by one string on the top of her head. And with one final snip, she tumbled like lead. Ring dancers cried, the poor girl is dead. Oh no, I'm not, said a voice in the dark. I'm free of these strings and I'll follow the lark. When the morning light came on the edge of the dawn, everyone saw Marionetta was gone. They doubted the voice that had called in the night, that promised the dancer a life in the light. They still hung in their courts, the poor knotted things insisting that no one could live without strings. But Marionetta knew sunshine and joy and ran through the meadows where Katie did sing. She chased her fast shadow where waterfalls spring. She was glad she had chosen a life without strings. Calvin, I think we need to do a whole album of those. <laughs> that was beautiful. I yeah. I love to hear Phil do that. It yeah. just it just works so well. Yeah. Huh. 
Michael, uh, talk to me more about what you feel when you hear that expression of, we're talking about creativity here, when you hear a story like that. Well, um, Calvin was saying before, he, he, was, he was trying to uh, metaphorically speak about the gospel in a way that uh, I guess isn't, isn't yeah, I use the word preachy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the, the effect it has on me is, uh, I hope the effect that it has on everyone hearing it, and that is uh, you begin to ask yourself questions. I mean, like Jesus' parables, you interact with the person, you know, in the story, mm-hmm. and, and I'm asking you know what? What has me tied up? And of course, obviously, we, we're all tied in knots. And <laughs> and uh, and and Christ is the one who comes and cuts those things, uh, not simply so that we can be unbound, but so that we can dance the way Marionetta did with the lark and watching her fast shadow and the wonderful images. And to do it without preaching per se, as our guest Calvin Miller has said. Calvin, uh, this is exactly what our culture needs, doesn't it? It needs us Christians to kind of creatively tell these stories. Yeah, I think so. And in fact, one of my uh, as a teacher of homiletics at the seminary, I'm on a real crusade for this. I've, what I've tried to do is to get evangelicals to own up to the fact that preaching, uh, to be expository, doesn't have to be didactic or it doesn't mm. have to be preceptual, you know. I mean, I think there's a feeling that, that uh, any time you hear the word expository, you're thinking uh, preceptually. And I, I think Jesus told a lot of stories, and I think he was an expository preacher. I'm trying to get people to see that stories are exposition of truth, and the Bible abounds with it. Jesus' life abounds with it. Jesus is a great storyteller. When someone says to Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor, he doesn't say, let me give you three Hebrew roots. <laughs> he says, uh, let me tell you a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And and he's so inductive about it that when he finishes the story, he doesn't say, Okay, this this guy was the the neighbor. He says, who do you think was neighbor? Mm-hmm. And the stories are engaging and inductive, and the listener has to uh, write his own theology on the spot. And I, I think that's the the mode of of a postmodern world. Whether we like it or not, we are there. And story is just a great way to uh, preach. It's a great way to live. In fact, I, I I'd like to do a book on on just meta narrative. I think every time I stand up to preach. I'm preaching to a whole bunch of people who are writing their own narratives, and mm. I've got my narrative, and we come together in 30 minutes of worship and bang narratives for a while. Mm. And uh, out of push, putting all this together, we further define ourselves and who God is and what He, what he requires of us. Well, that's the whole poema idea, that our yeah. lives are poems. Yeah. That... By the way, I love that in your book. I forgot which book that was in, mm. but that... That's a wonderful notion. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll never forget being in uh, the church that you gave leadership to in uh, was Omaha, uh-huh. and uh, it was Easter, and you come in, you you never knew what to expect, right, <laughs> in Calvin's church, and and what had happened. I don't know if you did this or if you had the maintenance man do it, but they'd taken the cross off the wall. It was lying sideways on the altar. You go, what you know, yeah. what is what this? Is this? <laughs> and and there were three candles, one on the on the side piece of the head, one on the uh, the the cross piece on top of that and then one on the other side of the cross. And um, without saying a word. I mean, everyone's just sort of, you know, in suspense. Calvin walks up and he starts telling the whole narrative from memory of the the Peter's three denials. And each time uh, there was a denial Calvin takes the candle and blows it out. Oh. And then he, he recites, it goes on to the John 21 passage where Jesus gives Peter a chance to reaffirm three times that he loves him. And each time 
he would relight the candle, oh, and that I was love that. and that was it. And I, I will, uh, Calvin, I'll never forget that. You've forgotten a lot of sermons, but not oh, that one. Oh, I'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, thanks, Michael. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm always talking about what I call image exegesis in the sermon. Don't don't just preach to me a, a scripture, but show me mm. something visual mm. while, you, while you give me the scripture. Which Jesus constantly did. Look at the fields. Look Absolutely. at the Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, Calvin, uh, I know how strongly Michael believes in mentoring, and I have to think that you do as well. This isn't just something that you're developing in your own life. You're, you're looking to pass this on to others as well. I really am, and I work on it all the time in preaching courses, both on a doctoral level. I've, I've taught adjunctively now at Dallas and Trinity and Denver. Uh, all the time I do this, and everywhere I go where I do preaching things, Asbury, I try my best to say, uh, you know, let's let's put some imagery into our exegesis. Let's, let's open the Bible up with pictures and mm. stories. And, uh, and people will remember it longer. You mentioned a lot of good schools. Are you going to mention where you are now, though? Yes, I am. I'm at Beeston, which is an excellent school. And uh, there have been uh, the there was a man in, who lived in Birmingham. He was not a Baptist, but he split his uh, fortune, I think, of around 130 million between Asbury oh. and Sanford. And bo- and uh, we started a brand new theological school here. But the uh, Asbury School started a particular graduate level studies program, and uh, I've worked in both of those, but it, it's just a great school, uh, good theology, being brand new, it doesn't have a lot of tradition. I think that's why I like to start my own church, and maybe why I like a new seminary. Uh, there are a lot of things you don't have that you wish you did have, like a lot of alumni, alumni would be a great thing. Uh, we don't have a lot uh, of right. just starting, but you can do about anything you want to, that is nice, and that's a good freedom to put on an artistic fellow, I think. That's, hey, thank you so much uh, for helping us understand and appreciate God's gift of creativity to us. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for putting me on the program, Michael. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, I meant what I said earlier. I hope as the, as the program proceeds that you can be a regular guest, because uh, you cover all three of our categories, creativity, community, and certainly commentary, so we, we, we'd love to have you back. Well, I'll sure come. Just ask any time. Okay. Thank we you say, very much. God bless. God bless. And as we say goodbye to Calvin Miller today, we turn again to Michael's music. And Michael, we talk about uh, Christ as really the, uh, the the creator himself, you know, who the, the source of our creativity. And if we're going to be creative, we have to respond to a vision, right? Uh, and creativity is worship. Creativity is a response. And it's a response to the vision that we receive only from Christ Jesus. In the studio now with Michael Card, Be Thou My Vision.
you've joined us in the studio with Michael Card. If this program has been a help to you, I'd like to encourage you to let us know through email. We've been hearing from people all over the world. Here's a note, for example, from a web listener who writes, I make it a point to catch your program via the internet every Saturday evening up here near Winnipeg in Manitoba. The musical selections are inspiring and the discussions challenging. May God grant you continued wisdom as you disseminate his word. Well, no matter how you hear us, we hope you'll take a moment and pass along your comments and questions about the Bible and living the Christian life. We'll try to answer as many as we can on future broadcasts. The address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. Again, in the studio at michaelcard.com. And you can learn more about this program as well as Michael's teaching and music ministry on the web. Our address is michaelcard.com. There are many features you can take advantage of helping you amplify the ministry of this radio outreach. Learn more about Michael's tour schedule and follow up the teaching of this broadcast with our weekly email devotional. 
And if you'd like to listen again, visit our audio archive at our radio page or find our podcast by typing Michael Card in the iTunes podcast directory. Also, we're happy to let you know about the release of the CD and teaching DVD on the life of Peter called A Fragile Stone. This project was filmed on location in Israel with Michael, helping to bring to life the teaching and music we've been hearing from him on the life of Simon Peter. The details on this special DVD CD project from Michael, which I think you'll really enjoy, can be found at michaelcard.com. The scriptures used today were from the New Living Translation. Our program producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for joining us here in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.